Now. <laughs> okay, we are now recording. And we're going to pick it up in, we're in James chapter 3. We're going to do our best to, to get a ways into this. I'm hoping to at least finish through 12 and, and maybe start in, in the, part of this will we'll refer to 13 and on as well. So we're going to read from chap, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 through verse 18 through the end of this chapter. We'll also be upon occasion referring to some other passages. Specifically, we'll be in, in Daniel a couple of times. And um, so if you're interested and you want to turn to those passages, that's fine. Know that I will be turning to Daniel uh, at some point uh, this morning. All right. So we're in, uh, again, James chapter 3, starting in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from down from, the he from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and self selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. The wisdom that comes from the heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. All right, that's our passage today. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, of uh, something that's been attributed to Lord Acton back years and years, probably centuries ago. He's, and if I started, I'm sure many of you can answer the, uh, the quote, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, absolutely, that's absolutely. right. This is an axiom, if you will, that that is a secular concept, but it actually it, it refers to a, a theological truth. Um, Daniel uh, is before Belshazzar, uh, and remember, this is the the son or grandson of of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, uh, God is uh, speaking, uh, Daniel speaking for God before uh, Belshazzar. Uh, and he says that, uh, in referring to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Nebuchadnezzar was sovereign. Uh, his sovereignty, greatness, and glory and splendor were given to him by God. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed of his royal throne and stripped of his glory. You remember the story, it says that uh, Nebuchadnezzar became almost like a beast. He was basically went crazy, um, lost his mind, if you will. And the issue is that he, uh, it wasn't until he acknowledged who God was that he was restored to his full senses and allowed to go back onto his throne. So here's the thing that, I com that, I, that comes out of that is that uh, according to the scripture, power has the capacity and the tendency to, to become twisted and perverted, but in and of itself, it's a neutral thing. It's what we do with it. 
And, and this is really important. Even James talks about this when he talks about the tongue and the abuse of power. Remember, false teachers who he's upset with and, and fighting against, he says their, their issue is that they're dealing with things that are almost hellish uh, and they're from the devil. Uh, in, in chapter three, it talks about the fact that his that the tongue is set on fire by hell. Um, it's you've got to understand that it's a possibility that you can use the tongue incorrectly over and over again. Um, mankind was made in the image of God and has been entrusted with and delegated the authority over all the earth, but yet we at times deal with it very poorly. We think it's ours to do with as we see fit without taking into account what God might want us to do. Um, so Psalm 24 uh, verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's. Uh, in Psalm 115, it says the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he, gave, he has given to man. Um, and so we find that, uh, that even in, in uh, Psalm 8, uh, it's a reflection of who God is and what God's done. He says, he remember Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens and the works of your hands, the, the moon and stars which you've set in place, what is man that you should be mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field and birds of the air, fish of the sea, all swim the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What a great psalm. And, and I can remember as, as a college student actually singing a version of this uh, as a sacred art song. Um, but, you know, what is man that you're mindful of? But you've made him uh, a little lower than the angels. It, some say that this also had in, implications of messianic uh prophecy and the fact that Jesus was what made lower than the angels but was worshipped by angels he became a man and, and finding himself in fashion as a man he humbled himself and as Philippians 2 says I think one of the other steps we have to look at in James here is also the fact that um, there is uh, this abuse of power that can come from uh, having power is seen as something that's that can be inherited uh, in power is the possibility of evil and I think this is the uh, this is the thing that I would say that in Daniel chapter 7 if you want to look there Daniel 7 verses 2 through 7 it says uh, Daniel's having a vision and he says in my vision that night I looked and therefore before me were four winds of heaven churning up a great sea four great beasts each different from the other came up out of the sea the first was like a lion, had wings of, of an evil eagle, and I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of man was given to it. And there before him was a second beast, which looked like a bear, and it raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, get up and eat and have your fill of flesh. And after that, I looked, and there behold me was another beast. This one looked like a leopard. Uh, and on its back, it had four wings like birds, uh, and its beast had, this beast had four heads and was given authority to rule. And after that, my vision that night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying, frightening, 
very powerful. It had large iron teeth and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot where whatever was left. It was different from the former beasts and it had 10 horns. So this idea of, uh, by the way, this is a picture of the of four of the major uh, kingdoms that were, uh, the first is uh, Babylon, the second is uh, Medo-Persia, the third is Greece, uh, the fourth would be Rome. Um, and it was a vision of what was coming in the, in the, in the future to Daniel, although Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon was, uh, was where he was at, he would live to see uh, the Medo-Persian Empire and uh, served one of the kings of the Medo-Persian Empire, Darius. Um, yeah, the vision opens with the churning of the sea, and the, the idea here is this represents chaos. Uh, the, the forces that are, are opposed to God uh, the sea is churning at night. Remember, night is a, is a time of evil. It features, uh, it's meant to heighten the sense of danger and of evil coming out of, the, uh, out of this. And out of the sea comes four beasts. We say that that represents four political powers. And they possess dominion or authority to rule because God has entrusted mankind with this task. But like Nebuchadnezzar, the beasts all abuse their power. And they are told to eat your fill. And, and another, another uh, uh, translation is trample underfoot whatever is left. So Daniel, like James, gives voice to the truth that people in positions of power obviously and often abuse their power. I mean, all you have to do is just look. Remember the, the, the DA for the, the county of uh, Macomb decided that uh, money that was confiscated in drugs ra raids was his personal sl slush fund. Eric Smith. I'm sorry? Smith. Yeah, Smith. Thank you. Yeah. He's going to prison for it. Uh, power is it's so easy. To, you know, and it's like, well, it's just a little thing. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter. It's not going to hurt anything if I do this. And, and you start down a path that becomes a problem. Um, Daniel speaks of, of judgment of the political power by God and how political powers are stripped of their powers and how their authority, glory, and sovereign power are given to one in, in, if we were to continue in, in chapter seven. It says in Daniel, it says that they were given to the son of man, which is a reference to who? Who claims that title in, in the New Testament? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. That's right. The point of what he's saying here, if you read the whole uh, vision, it says uh, in, in verse 9 and following, it says that the thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and hair on his head was white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing and coming from before him and thousands upon thousands attended him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And when I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. And other beasts had been stripped of their authority and were not allowed to live for a, for a period of time. And, says, and in my vision, in verse 13, I looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. 
all peoples, nations, men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never, never be destroyed. That's the picture of who God's going to, to put on the throne. And that's Jesus. I believe that's the millennial kingdom. Now, there are those that would have different opinions, and that's fine. Um, if we if we are, were to ever to discuss Daniel, and just remember, it's prophecy. And if we did prophecy, it would take us forever to get through it. But it is, uh, it is interesting that one day God says he will strip all human institutions of the authority we now use inappropriately. Instead, he's going to give it to the Son of Man, that's uh, God's agent who will establish God's kingdom and political power. While it has moral neutrality, it is easily co-opted by the forces of evil. And you've got to be concerned about that. And someday it's all going to be stripped away and given to the right authority and the right power. And that's Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, we serve him. And we serve at his pleasure. Great to know you. You know the, the the important people, right? You can hobnob with all the, the you know, and that's who he is, the most important person in all of the universe. One of the third things I look here and I see this in this this issue of what we're dealing with here is um, this idea of power is, is influenced by by hell, and it's to be understood as, that it's uh, forces of evil. Deuteronomy says the Most High. Deuteronomy thirty-two verses eight and nine says. The Most High has given nations their inheritance. And when he divided all of mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of angels of God. For the Lord's portion is his people and Jacob his allotted inheritance. By the way, if you look at the NIV, it does not say the number of angels of God. It says according to the number of sons of Israel. That's a different way of translating it. I like the way that it's translated when it says the number of angels of God. The reason that I like that is that I believe that what happens is that God has given authority of his angels to oversee kingdoms of this world. Um, let's just take a, a side step here. If you're in, in um, Daniel still, flip over to um, one of his other visions. This is in chapter 10. I just want to talk about the fact that Daniel's praying, and he has uh, uh, this. Uh, uh, he has uh, been praying, and as a result, he is here. He falls into a deep sleep. He sees someone that no one else sees. He has another vision, and um, it says that a hand touched him in verse ten. And uh, he goes on to say uh, in verse twelve, he says, "This person, which we believe is an angel, because he's the only one that can see it, is Daniel. The people around him." don't see it in fact they flee and daniel falls into a deep sleep so basically he's having a vision and he says uh, um, daniel you're high, highly esteemed in verse 11 consider carefully the words i'm about to speak to you and when he said this to me i stood up and trembled and he said then he continued do not be afraid daniel since the first day of you set your mind to gain understanding humble shelf before god your words were heard and i have become come to res in response to them but the prince of the persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days and then michael one of the chief princes came to help me because i was detained there with the king of persia 
Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Notice it says that, that this angel couldn't get to Daniel because he was thwarted for a time by the prince of Persia. We're not talking about literal, we're not talking about physical people, we're talking about spiritual powers. Um, one of the things that the Old Testament does is the Old Testament often compares, uh, it talks about other gods, and it really refers to them almost as though they're angelic beings. They are demonic. They have fallen, they are fallen angels. Listen to some of this. For, uh, in Psalm 89, verses 6 and 7, it says, for, uh, for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all those who surround him. In 90, in, these are all from Psalm, Psalm uh, 90, 96, verse 4. It says, God is to be feared above the gods. For the great is the Lord, Yahweh, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. In, in Psalm 97, he, the gods are said to worship Yahweh. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Worship him, all you gods. Uh, Isaiah talks about the fact that the, in that day, the Lord will punish the powers in heaven above the kings on the earth below. And they will be herded together like prisoners bound into a dungeon. And they will be shut up in a prison and punished for, after many days. Psalm, or Psalm, uh, Isaiah 34 says in verses 2 through 4, it says, The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will send up a stench. And the mountains will be soaked with their blood. All the stars of heaven will be dissolved. And the skies rolled up like a scroll. And all the starry hosts will fall. Like withering leaves from the vine. And like shriveled figs from the fig tree. There is a definite connection between human political forces and angelic beings what was that last verse that last verse was from isaiah 34 verses two through four okay and it says uh, uh even jesus refers it in john chapter 8 he talks about the fact that uh, uh, that he's going to be put to death by the romans he says i will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming who's the prince of this world the devil. Yeah, the devil. Satan stands behind all political forces, and basically they're ignorant of his presence, and they and he attempts to bend them to his will, just like God wants to control and, and often does. But on a larger canvas, uh, these fallen angels uh, are the rulers of this age, and they're in league with Satan, who and Paul says is the, the god of this age. And it says in Ephesians 2, that he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. First um, Corinthians 2 says, none of the rulers of this age understood it, or if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They believed a lie. And it goes on to say that, that remember, it says that, that um, I think this is in Ephesians, it says that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them by the cross. I think that now that I think about it, I think it's Colossians. It's Colossians 2. 
um, there will, uh, if, even though Christ has won the, the final victory, remember, there's still stuff going on. And our struggle in Ephesians 6 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We struggle against political uh, authority, but we struggle because they are being controlled often by evil forces that basically they're bending to the will of, of, uh, of the devil and, his, and those in his league. Now, again, remember, political authority is morally neutral. It all depends upon how strong the person is that is controlling it. If they're following... Can I insert a comment in here, Val? Sorry? I sure. like to insert a comment. So I, I look back at your eyes at Isaiah 34, and right next to it, in Isaiah 33 at the tail end, 22, it says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is yeah. our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. He will save us. And I, I remember reading about, you know, American history from a Christian perspective, and that's how we, we have three branches of government, judge, law, and, and king. So executive, judicial, and legislative. So anyway, so supposedly that that's, falls, that's where it came from. All that falls within the, the, uh, the auspices of God himself. So, so, yeah, like you said, not only are the, uh, the bad guys fighting for government, so God also has his God also here. is fighting, and God can turn the head of kings. That's true. There are times when, when they do something and it's exactly what God wants to do. He can control it if necessary. But remember, he allows them to do things that are, that are evil. Because again, men are weak. The only way that we uh, the only way that we please God is by obeying him. And the only way that an unbeliever can please God is by first coming to him and acknowledging that he is king and lord of the universe and the only one who can save them from themselves. Uh, I think that uh, there are three issues. I, 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 I as I, I look at this, and, and we're gonna we're getting there, we're getting there. Um, three significant issues about that I would try in applica application. One that that, that is kind of above all the else is the fact that teachers and power uh, is there is 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 theirs by virtue of their position, and that's one of the issues you have with people who are in, in authority is that they have uh, perceived power. And um, James is warning us uh, against uh, teachers in leadership if they're focused on the wrong things. Second issue that I'd see the thing he ta talks about is the fact that the power of the tongue is it can inflict unbelievable damage and unbelievable pain uh, if it's allowed to run muck, run amok. And we need to learn to how to control that. And the only way that we can control it is by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the third thing I would say is that uh, Satan is capable of great evil. And he employs this phrase, the world of evil, uh, there that we've read. Uh, and it have to, we have to be careful because so often the church can end up doing the same thing that the political people do. I'm reminded of the fact that Augustine said that all of us, as a result of the fall, are bent toward perversity. He says, the tongue is a restless evil whose source is hell, and we allow Satan to twist us and pervert us. Way to go, Augustine. One writer says that sin is kind of like a cancer. 
it, it kills because it, it reproduces. And it'll continue to reproduce until it's stopped. But think about this. Think about the violence that happens between ethnic groups or between families that continue long after the original reason is probably forgotten. Think of, think of the Hatfields and McCoys. My, my father had a good friend who was part of that, the Hatfield clan. And, and he, you know, he said they were nuts down there in Kentucky and, and West Virginia. McCoy started it. See what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and everyone, it, long after, I mean, years, generations after that, they were still fighting over the issue. Forgotten what it was. Um, Shakespeare writes about it with Romeo and Juliet. You got two houses that are fighting each other. and You got two kids that end up loving each other and, and it destroys both of them. There's a problem with um, Montagues and the Capulets. You know, they're, they're, they continue to fight each other long after they probably even knew what it was all about. Long after the original, whatever the original offense was, was probably long forgotten and distant memory in everyone's mind. But there are temptations to leadership and that we have to be careful about it. I'm reminded, and this goes back a few years, so anyone who's younger will not remember this guy. Remember a guy by the name of Dick Morris? He was a, one of the political uh, people that worked with um, um, Bill Clinton. And he wrote a book, uh, his book was Behind the Oval Office, Winning the Presidency in the 90s. He was one of the first ones to claim that they went negative with their ads, big time negative in order to win. Uh, he had no problem doing that. He says, I needed power. He says, one of the things is his motivation was this. Says, I needed uh, the power fix really badly. And he says, I, he claimed success of the Clintons campaign by the ability to know the current mood of the country and to shape the president's message to fit the mood. He didn't care what it took. You know, he, 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 he's one of the first, well, they probably all have to some degree, but he really went way overboard on what I would call style over substance. It was almost like, in, remember when Kennedy and Nixon uh, debated? And Kennedy won the debate, and a lot of it wasn't what he said. It was the way he looked on TV. Gladly, no. He had this, <laughs> this, this um, you know, he, he had makeup. He had, uh, uh, he had the right color shirt. I think it was a light blue shirt. It looked well on TV. Nixon hadn't had makeup. He sweated very heavily under the lights. Mm -hmm. He had a, a five o'clock shadow. He was, you know, he looked like he was, he looked like he was lying the whole time, you know, based upon looks. The television was new and everyone was going on based upon, well, you know, this guy's young and vibrant and looks good. Now, in retrospect, there's some things that Kennedy did that were great. And there were some things that go, well, I don't know, maybe. But we, we, we highly value him. But the result was that style often was is what we go on based upon substance. And think about this. When, we have, when you have uh, little voice clips, you're looking at trying to get words across that have you, – you sometimes issues can't be – can you deal with a, an issue with, a, with, a, with just a, a small snippet? 
or does it take a lot of difference, a lot of depth, a lot of understanding? And and substance takes a while. You can't do it in, uh, you know, in a soundbite. You just can't explain substance in a soundbite. You can have some great soundbites, but you know, in and of themselves, you what does that mean? I don't know. And it's hard to get people to explain that. And here's the, the issue I would say that we need to talk about today. And that is this. Christians need to remember the state in and of itself is not to be trusted. It's no substitute for the church. And too often our problem is we try to substitute the, the state for the church. And I will say that there are times when some of our, our folks, I think, get confused as to who they worship and who their king is. And substance becomes something that's not nearly as important as style. Um, the United States is was founded on some principles that were taken from the Judeo-Christian ethics. And, uh, and that's great. But the United States is not Israel. And a lot of the stuff that has been written in the Old Testament, we try to apply to our country. And there's a sense to which it can be applied, but in general, it's about Israel. There's, there's actually a, the, a theology out there that's called replacement theology in which they say that uh, those that follow that would say that Great Britain took the place of, of, uh, of uh, Israel uh, because of Israel rejecting the Messiah. And then by extrapolation, America becomes the new Jerusalem, the new, the new Judah, the new Israel. And I got to tell you that I don't think that's the case. I don't think that God's put away the. Well, they, they weren't. What, James? I said they weren't talking about the Israel of today or even um, no. the Israel that um, many people, even back in that time, envisioned. Um, they're talking about an Israel of God that God provided, and the state of Israel went away from that. Uh, when they uh, uh, crucified Jesus. And I don't believe they've personally that they've ever gotten back to that. Oh, so I don't think they have either. God had to what I think it. they will. And so, well, none of us will be here to see it, I don't think. No, I'm, I'm not planning on being here. They're still going in a, <laughs> they're going in a different way right now. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for me, at, at times, the politicians that try to use it, um, they're not they're not using it in a way that God put forth. Uh, I see all the and hear these arguments on these TV stations about, let's just say, that for instance, this uh, critical race theory, and how certain entities have brought uh, the Bible into it. And uh, misconstrued the words as uh, God put it put it forth. Yeah, yeah. And I'll leave it We're all, we, we all have that possibility of of being wrong when we do this, and we, and, and it all comes back to this: when you use the Bible 
we have to make sure that we're using it correctly. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and teaching us what needs to be looked at. And we need to stop trying to put it through our lenses. You know, my, I've told you, my, and my story is not to do with, with race as much as it had to do with music. I was taught a particular style of music. I was taught that this is the way you did music. This is the only way you did music. Anything other than this way was ungodly and sinful. And one day I was challenged to reread the scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to just guide me in my understanding of it. The more I read it and the more I asked God, is give me your insight in this. I took off my glasses, put on the Holy Spirit's glasses, and suddenly I'm going, oh, I've been taught incorrectly for years. And what they said didn't make sense as scripture why? Because I started saying, Lord, show me what you want. And I would say that in any instance, in any situation, whether it's how we treat each other, uh, the political views that we have, go back to the scripture and don't go back with the idea of saying, okay, I want to prove my point. Because we can all do that. We can all cherry pick scripture to prove a particular point. The issue you want to do is how does it match with all of scripture? How did your view change? So you, what was your view before? And then what was your My view? My view was after? that contemporary Christian music was of the devil. It's the way I was taught. Contemporary Christian music. I mean, so hymns are okay and anything that wasn't a hymn? Basically anything that was written after 1950 was suspect. Okay. <laughs> but music, now, but music, being, but music was okay? I'm being somewhat facetious about that, but because there were people that were still producing songs and music in in that particular style but it all stopped with uh it stopped before you know uh rock and roll rock Isn't and the, roll was of the devil man like the church of christ aren't they uh well the like church, of christ has, yeah, church of christ has two uh, two actual uh sections they have one that says no musical instruments in the church and so everything they do is acapella there's another another group of, of church of christ that actually says it's okay to have an instrument uh, Rochester College would be one of those those u- unique colleges. They are actually a Church of Christ college, but they teach uh, instrumentally, which is kind of an odd, you know, thing. But yeah, I mean, you got some great acapella uh, work that's done in in Church of Christ. Oh man! But the issue is, you know, it, would I I would not have used any of the music I used in the last uh, probably twenty years of my ministry. Would none of it would have uh, would have passed muster with the uh, you know where I, the way I was trained. So as I read scripture, I go, oh, I have to repent of a lot of things that I said and did because it was wrong. And it's going to be true when we start looking at our theology. Just because someone tells you that this is good theology, you need to check it out. Make sure make sure that the guy that's teaching you is telling you the truth that he's not just coloring it based upon his own ideas. So it boils down to like, what is worldliness? Yeah. Yeah. Right. In that particular instance. But what I found, what I found is I did my study, not only from scripture, but also looking at it from a historical standpoint, every time God had a major movement of the spirit, there was a major change in the way music was done in the church, because usually what happened is people that were from the world 
got saved and said, I want to express my thanks and my appreciation and what God's teaching me in music. And they did it in whatever medium they were, they were comfortable with. Going back all the way to Martin Luther, who, who was, his critics said that he's singing people into his, into his theology or into his doctrine. And what was he doing? He was writing songs. And again, back in that day, when you wrote a song, in fact, even in the Civil War, I have a hymnal here from the Civil War that was used by, by one of the soldiers. And in there, in this little hymnal, it'll tell you that here's the, the words we're going to sing and here's the tune we're going to use. The tunes were interchangeable originally. You didn't have one tune you had that was set with one piece of music. You had a, a, The music was set in a meter. And as long as the meter fit the, 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 the uh, poetry of the song, you could sing it in whatever tune. It's like I've told you before, you can see... Uh, you can do Amazing Grace to the tune of uh, uh, Gilligan's Island. Amazing Grace, how great the song that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. It's Amazing Grace. Set to a different tune. It's okay. I like it. Oh, okay. I feel a little weird. You can also, by the way, you can also do it the House of the Rising Sun. I won't try to do that, but you can Thank do you. the same words for the House of, and use the tune of the House of the Rising Sun. Oh, come on. Let's go. <laughs> I always forget the tune. I always get off when I do it. So you uh, suggest, I don't know what, I don't know what that means exactly, but um, <laughs> so uh, you said to check on who's teaching you. You said to check on who's teaching you if they're telling you the truth. So yeah, that would be me. You have some suggestions on who we <laughs> check with, who you. Yeah, check. I mean, check. well, names or um, <laughs> Gary. I mean that. I would say check the Holy Spirit. Okay. Ask the Holy Spirit to well, open your eyes when you when you check. You say, "Gee, I don't know if I can." Is that really true? Be what do what the Bereans did. Check the Holy. Always use Scripture to to prove Scripture. That's the best part. Then, if you want some other guys, yeah. Well, if you want to know like end time, <laughs> I recommend a book that I, I gave I told Rick to read. It's by a guy. Uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Rick, what's that book I told you to read? I don't remember it now. I just lost my memory. I don't know if it's up here on my shelf or not. It's here someplace. Um, hmm. Oh, well. War and Peace. And a, yeah, War, War and peace. peace, a nice small one. Yeah, it, well, it is. A, it is a, a good one, Larry. It is a big one. And it's over there someplace. All right. Um, but it's uh, it talks about end times. and It talks about all the various end times. There are there, uh, different theor theories. And you know what? We might not get them all right. And remember, I told you, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out we got this much right and this much wrong. Because we're human. And we all come with preconceived ideas. And only as God removes the, you know, the and we put on the right set of goggles, do we get to see what God has in mind for us. I'm, I'm reminded of a guy. I just wanted to read this to you. Um, there was a guy, there was a, a, an Orthodox priest in Russia, 1990. 
in September of 1990, he was murdered. By the way, he's murdered with an axe. He was in a gulag. He was a spiritual advisor to Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Andrea uh, Sarkova, Sarko, Sar, Sarkarva, excuse me. He was, uh, he was considered an outspoken uh, critic of the Soviet system. And two months before he died, he was on a radio broadcast that went across Russia. And this is the question he was attempting to answer. Does one need to be a Christian? And if one does, then why? Here's some of the things he said. Man always seeks God. The normal state of man is, to some extent, to be connected with a higher power, even when the higher power is the human mind is in the human mind is distorted and turned into a sec something secular. Eras of Stalinism and all those other isms seek some false god, even if God is taken away. This turns to idol worship and is still the inner instinct of seeking God is there. I believe that everything that is of value in Christianity is valuable only because it belongs to Christ. If it doesn't belong to Christ, it belongs to the same degree to Islam uh, or to Buddhism. So every religion is an attempt to reach God, but Jesus Christ is the answer. He went on to say that no living creature except for man is able to take a risk and even the risk of death for the sake of truth. And he was killed for saying that. I'm reminded of people that have done crazy things because they claim to be of God. You know, it happens in small churches. I've known, I, I, I knew a guy who was, uh, who claimed that um, uh, God had, had given him, had called him to exercise the spiritual gift of rebuke. Now, again, like I've told you before, you can't find sarcasm, the gift of sarcasm in the Bible, but at least as a spiritual gift, even though I claim to have it. Uh, there is no, there is no gift of spiritual rebuke. And you can, you can chase people away with that. You can say things that are absolutely incorrect and wrong. And the fact that it's not mentioned in any New Testament didn't phase him a bit. He still believed that it was his job was to go around rebuking anybody and everybody. Isn't you know, that one of the things we see with, with power is that it, it morally corrupts and, oh, and often yeah. leads to destructive pride? Yeah. Yeah. You look yeah, at a I, lot of the, you know, people that are in positions of close to absolute power, the closer they seem to get or in their own mind to absolute power, the more things that more outrageous they think they can do and, and get away with. And it happens in the church just as much as it happens anywhere else. And that's the struggle that we have is how do we deal with that and how do we uh, address it? And the scripture gives us indications of how to deal with it. The issue is we have to be willing to deal with it. Now there are, there are and sometimes there are arguments on both sides of the coin. You know, do you, do you if there's a sin and it means you have to say you have to replace somebody that's in authority do you totally sweep it under the carpet or do you air it out? And there might be reasons why you choose not to air it. There might be good biblical reasons, 
And there are also good biblical reasons why you would why you would want to air it. So when you're faced with that, you have to make a choice. And sometimes the choice isn't a, isn't a favorite one. It isn't favored by the people of the church. But sometimes it's best to let the sun shine in. Let the light do what it's supposed to do. Now, you don't want to destroy people. You know, as an example, if it's a, if a, a pastor's falls into sin and it has to be replaced and it has to do with inappropriate sexual behavior let's say as an as an example you want to try to shield the family as much as possible you don't want to put all the graphic details out there but it might be enough just to say we had to remove this person because of a sin and uh, we're, we're not sharing you all the details because well it won't do you any. It won't do you any good, and it will harm the the the, uh, the people that are closest to them. You know, until you until you're. You know, we. I told you this uh, years ago. I was hired in to be one of the pastors of church, and um, I came in September. By December, we lost the senior pastor. Uh, a month later, we lost the youth pastor, both to sin of, you know. Um, Senior pastor had a second family, caught by his own son. Um, we didn't go all the details, but we did have to address it. The church, and I, and I had to, I had to I had enough of the elders on board that that we managed to do it. But I had elders that were saying, "No, no, we just sweep it under the carpet. We don't deal with that." Well, the family already knew. Because it was an, it was an older son, a married son that caught his dad, and so you know we had to say something to the people, because if we didn't, they were going to have they were in a revolt. This guy was a popular guy. He not only was involved with involved with with, a, with another woman, and, and his her her grandkids were calling him grandpa, but he was also taking church funds and he was gambling. Atlantic City and. Vegas and other places. So, yeah, yeah. anyhow, life goes on. You, sometimes you gotta, you gotta, you gotta just say, "No, this man is in sin, and it needs to be dealt with." But we're not going to give you all the details. I'm not going to tell you how much the church lost. I'm not going to tell you all the details about, you know, the fact that we went out as a group and and researched this guy. Found out he was going to various hotels with her. He was traveling around the country with her gambling at all sorts of different places. He was going to on Christmas. It was at their house versus his house. And those, all that information didn't need to be known by the general public. It was enough to know that he fell into sin. There were a couple of major sins that needed to be dealt with. And as a church, we removed him as, from his office. But if you hadn't told him that, there'd have been an uprising. But if you told him everything, it would have been a, just a huge embarrassment to the family. And we wanted the family, the family, part of the family stayed in the church. Some of the family moved away, but the adult son stayed in the church. We were glad he did. So anyhow, uh, we have reached the end of our time and I don't want to uh, keep you longer. We're going to stop the recording here. Just remember this absolute power can corrupt. Absolutely. If you do not allow God to hold work in your heart and life. I didn't get a chance to say this, but in closing, just say this. Solomon himself gave away chunks of land to other countries because he was in debt up to his eyeballs with all the, the, the stuff that he did. 
and you can read about it in the in the in the Kings, where he gave away whole villages because he was trying to pay off uh, like Tyre and Sidon because he was using their uh, their lumber to build things. Remember, absolute power can corrupt absolutely, and uh, it's only by the grace of God that it doesn't. So, when you want to check a, a teacher, go to Scripture, see what he has to say, make sure he's saying it right, and if you have a question, ask him. He's a good man. He'll say he'll he'll listen. He's a bad man. He'll just get mad at you and tell you to go away. <laughs> <laughs> so just go away, guys. Just go away. <laughs> All right, Christopher.